Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 413. Terry Miller, the disc golf guy, alongside Johnny V. How many European Opens have we been around for? Not in what life, for uh, our podcast. I was trying to think, this uh, is like European Open recap number four? No, this is, no, this is the... For us on the podcast? Because we started in like 20. 14. 14, but the end in November. So, yeah. So we did 15, 17, and 19. I don't know. 19? I don't remember. And I'll be the first to admit, I'm, I'm not only am I glad I was there and we all had our roles in broadcasting it live, but I told quite a few people, especially the ones who were shocked that I'd never been there before, I don't pay a lot of attention to tournaments I'm not at. And maybe that's, uh, no, I'm, I don't know what I'm that is, but. If I'm not working it in terms of filming, if I'm not doing any interviews, if I'm not on the ground, if I'm not in a booth, I have a hard time paying attention to it only because then usually that means I'm working elsewhere. And European Open is one of those events that has been largely, I was, I was trying to think as to why that was. Well, largely UC and his crew have been running Spin 18 or Spin TV, mm-hmm. and they've had most of the media coverage in one way or another for lack of a better term, already on lock or handled. And so not being a part of that, the spin TV project at and at really any point directly, I've just had very little to almost zero uh, involvement whatsoever with the European Open. And I guess the same thing Ditto. goes for you. So <laughs> this was a whole different experience and there really is no better way to experience it to recap it, to talk about it, then to bring in right away our three-time European Open FPO winner, Paige Pierce. Hello, hello. Hey, Paige. How Thanks you doing? for joining the show. I didn't realize it was your first time there, Terry. <laughs> yeah, I just... And I was trying to think of why. And like I said, just UC has yeah. been so organized and so on top of media, but it's always been, quote-unquote, his media. Mm-hmm. And he didn't, well, he didn't have time this this 
year with all the quiet duties he had. <laughs> just, yeah. no, he's out there every year doing I that. I know he is. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> It's just really funny to see the TD uh, follow the lead card with the quiet. And I know he's got a lot of other things he's doing, crowd control. It's just there were a few funny memes out there with him holding the quiet sign. To be fair, I, I as Paige can attest, he's not the TD. No, he's not. At all. He's not he's, even. No, he's not. He's technically, yeah, not in he, charge of it. <laughs> I mean, not on paper. Everybody listens to him, though. <laughs> we need to listen to one page, Pierce. Let, let's start with some basics. Uh, of course, the congratulations. Um, but then r- let's get right into your travels. You know, this is a quick turnaround. Some people were at Idlewild. Some people didn't go because they were doing other things. And, and then, you know, some people did Norway and, and European Open. Some didn't. Talk to us about your travels and and why you made the decisions that you did. Uh, just in general, about yeah, those. I I focused on all the pro tour events, uh, the elite series pro tour events, and the majors this year. And so I didn't sign up for any silver series, which means uh, I wasn't going to go to Norway. Um, I also didn't want to rush that quick. I mean, that event started on Wednesday, and it was only a silver series, so. Yes, I want to go to Norway so bad, but um, <laughs> there will be a time for that. And, uh, you know, I've been to Finland. This was my fifth year now going and playing in Nokia. And none of those times have I done anything besides disc golfing. So um, I wanted to get there a little bit early. I thought, you know, a lot of my competitors would still be in Norway. The course would be a little bit less busy. And also I would have more time to adjust and I would have more time to like explore and actually get to know this country besides just the disc golf course. So um, (laughs) that was my first thought on why I did not play Norway or any other event. And so after Idlewild, um, I drove to Detroit, which was only like four and a half hours actually, um, and left my van at Discraft. And that worked out great because it was a short drive. And also, um, you know, now here I am flying back into Detroit and this event starts. So it was super easy and, uh, very convenient. Um, so yeah. And then I just flew, I got the first flight available out so I could get back to Discraft or to, to Michigan because, you know, with it being uh Discraft's home event, I figured I was going to be super busy. Um, so I wish I hadn't hindsight gotten the 7 a.m flight out of Helsinki because uh, I forgot about the black party. It's going all night long. And also just from Nokia to Tampere where the party is, is 40 minutes. And then from Tampere to Helsinki is two hours. So uh, that had me pulling an all nighter. I was at the black party till 2 AM and then drove to Helsinki to get there at four and got on a flight at 7 a.m. And I actually saw Brian Graham and Ricky Wysocki and a couple other disc golfers all on that same flight. So I I could have figured that Ricky would be on the first flight out as well. So it was pretty funny to see him on the flight. Yeah. He always seems to be leading. Just, you know, first first off the tee, first out of the city. Yeah. I was in a very similar position after the, the black party. It was hanging around a little bit more around town. And then next thing you know, Chandler Kramer's looking for a ride for yeah, to get to the airport. Yeah. Well, I had to go then to his Airbnb where I picked him up, 
which was the opposite direction of the airport. I picked him up from his Airbnb at like four or something and then brought him to the airport. And then Kat and Austin were on our same flight as well. We were all on the same flight that brought us from Tampere uh, into uh, Munich, Germany. And then they went to New York. Uh, All three of them actually just barely made their their connector to New York. And I went back to... um, to Chicago. So it was, it's just, there's something cool and you can maybe speak to this more than anyone. What's that like? What does that say about our sport? And what's that like to go to an airport and then see all of your, your fellow competitors, you know, at all these international airports and randomly seeing each other or realizing people are on the same flights. What does that feel different to you when we're in another country and that's happening? I think it's really cool. You know, I think like, you know, when you see, when, even when you're driving to a d- different event and you see someone stop at the same gas station, it's just cool, you know, but uh, definitely when you're worldwide and you're flying in airports and stuff, that's really cool. But I think, you know, it's it's more rare to see your competitors, but it's, it's a lot more common these days to just see random disc golfers that like, mm-hmm. you know they just see your bag and they're like, what's up? Yep. <laughs> no. And that's just always cool. And then it always starts the conversation. Have you played a course? Have you played this course? Have you, you know, and next thing you know, you're, you're stressed on time because you're just talking to a random <laughs> for a while. And, but yeah, it's super cool just to, uh, I guess just be more globally recognized, right. And, and played. And so you see a lot more people out there. Uh, yeah, and I'll uh, real quick. Similarly, I had uh, flown into Frankfurt, Germany, and I had like a three or four hour layover, three or four hour layover on the way there. And sure enough, I run into Alex, who's actually a writer for UDisc. And then we were on the next two legs together. We flew cool. into Latvia together, and then we both threw into Tampere. And I ended up giving him a ride uh, indirectly back to his Airbnb. So it's like it's just funny that we you, know, you see these people, and obviously we all have the same agenda on a weekend right. like this. It's it's. I mean, I used to get geeked out when you'd go even to like fly out of Charlotte the day after the USDGC, and it's like, oh, there's Elaine King, and there's so and like you'd <laughs> right. see all these random people right. that all doing what you're doing, but. Yeah, it's it's this funny little brotherhood and sisterhood we have. Well, so now, you're back. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it's like to the point where we're all kind of playing the same events, right? Like everybody's hitting the pro tours. Everybody's hitting the majors. So you're starting to see a lot more people like coming together at, at the airport or on yep. Highway 35 at the same time. So especially <laughs> yep. with the big old vans, you know, it's hard to <laughs> Everybody's so recognizable. Yeah, exactly. As you're as you're passing one another. So let's let's specifically your your back. I, I saw you make a post. You're you checked out. You know you were checking out the toboggan, and just overall, how are you feeling? You know what's recovery been like? You know I know that makes for a long night or two, but um, you know how things been since arriving and touching ground in in Michigan. Yeah, it's been pretty smooth so far. Actually, I uh, I got like I said, I got on that seven a.m. flight and we fly backwards in time. So mm-hmm. um, when I landed, it was only like twelve twenty p.m. <laughs> um, and so right before I got off my flight, I actually slept very well on my flight. I got first mm. class. So first damn, time, yeah, first time in my life, I sprung for first class, and I thought, you know, what a better time, no better time to do it than on an eight hour flight. So mm-hmm. I got to sleep and get really rested. And then right, but I set my alarm on my phone and 
right before we landed, I chugged, basically chugged two coffees and, uh, (laughs) you know, just told myself, like, if I can kind of like just wake up and get through the day and at least make it to like 9 p.m., then I'll hopefully get a good, good night's sleep and like reset was my thought. And I slept for 12 solid hours. I woke up at 9 a.m. And, uh, but anyway, uh, sorry, I'm skipping ahead. Um, but yeah, when I landed after those coffees, I chugged, I went straight to the course and got around in and got to see the new changes and just kind of like get adjusted to this trek that we were getting on. But, um, and then yeah, slept for 12 hours and then today played again. Um, and now I'm feeling like right when I just answered the call, you said I look tired and, um, I'm feeling it like about 30 minutes ago, I started like really like, Oh my gosh, am I going to make it to Smashbox? But, um, yeah, I'm starting to feel tired again, but it's good. It's like 10 PM now. So it's, it's bedtime anyway. Yeah. So, uh, so we're not going to keep you too incredibly late, but we, so we certainly appreciate you joining. And I know the fans do more than anything as well. Um, you know, what can what can I guess maybe the silly thing is what can we ask you that hasn't been experienced by you in the past? You're at 17 majors, you know the the most winning majors of all women to ever play the sport, and and only a couple more, you know, by Ken Climo on the men's side. But you know, one of our most winning women ever, and on the largest stage ever. So most spectators, one of the biggest payouts. Yeah, I mean, so all let, of that. let's start there. Where, where do you put this win compared to any other win? Um, I mean, just battle wise, it was one of the best of my whole life. You know, like we, it, I mean, we we really played hard, and we were out there shredding. I had to shoot my best round at the tournament in the final round to to win it, and so I had to shoot better each day to move up, and then saved my best round for last to, to close it out. So, um, yeah. And, you know, I, I got a lot of birdies that final round that I hadn't even sniffed the other three days. So Evelina was pushing me to, to, to the very end. So it was, it was really far up there, especially just, uh, I don't know. The vibes, vibes were good. We were all, um, you know, happy for each other and, and cheering each other on and, and pushing each other to just throw better shots. You know, like I think of hole 14 in particular, uh, you know, Hannah had the box and, and, or I had the box and I got myself to 25 feet or so. And then, uh, you know, all of my competitors continued to, to get closer to the basket than me. So, mm-hmm. um, with the exception of Evelina who left it 65 short, but then she nails that putt. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. wow, this is a hole that uh, we played better than the men. And so it was, it was cool to (laughs) to see that we were all kind of pushing each other. And um, yeah, that's, I think exactly how you want sports to, to, to be. I think we were blessed this weekend with the FPO and MPO battles. So, so close, so tight. Um, I mean, at least at the top of the fields um, for for both divisions that uh, the viewers really got a, a a great show. Yeah. Do you feel as if there was a parallel in that, like you and Evelina 
largely pulled away from the field, similar to the way Eagle and Paul had. Did you feel that, or did you feel like things were that much still closer in the FPO division? You being obviously still two behind Evelina going into it, but did you feel any of the, the a similar parallel or not? Um. In a way, yeah, but a little bit less extreme. I think that the final yeah. round for MPO, it was 100% Eagle or Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the final round, in my head, personally, I thought it was going to be Evelina or I. But if I had uh, a bad round mm-hmm. and Evelina did as well, it could have been Henna or Kat or or Katrina as well. So sure. Um, you know, it would have taken them to have a stellar round and both of us to have a bad round, but that still was in play where the eleven stroke deficit that I think um, you know, Chandler and, and Kevin faced was significantly <laughs> bigger. Now looking at your, your final round, it it brings up two questions. One, did you realize when it was all said and done that you you just had four pars. I mean, you had a, a lot of birdies and a lot of bogeys, but four pars. Did you? Um, and does that mean anything to you? No, I didn't realize that until like after the <laughs> tournament concluded, and I kind of was just like looking at who who podiumed, who got top five, who got top ten, stuff like that. And then I was like, whoa, there's only four pars on my scorecard. <laughs> um, no, in those moments, you know, it's like, yeah, I was I was getting as many birdies as I possibly could. And then when I was off the fairway, I was trying to minimize the damage. And um, like I think of of uh, hole three, you know, I had two great shots. And then my third shot got a little unlucky, rolled away. Not much I can do there. Bogeys, what I have to settle for. Hole four, same thing. Like I threw a great drive, but my second shot hit a tree and rolled down the hill. And I bogey was best I could do. So in those Mm -hmm. moments, I'm not thinking about like my colorful scorecard. I'm just trying to, to get it in the basket in the least amount of throws as possible. And ideally, yes, you want that to be birdies, but um, sometimes that's out of your control. So just trying to make sure there's no darker orange on the scorecard. Like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I and and exactly to your point, you had seven birdies in the final round, uh, whereas the previous three rounds combined, I think you had twelve. And so, as you said, you know, you were out there pick, collecting quite a few birdies you obviously had a few of the the bogeys to accompany that and the last one you you, we could always you know you could almost toss out because you're at that point all you need to play for at at worst was a bogey you know and playing your chip shots or whatever but anyway um and then my next question that when i'm looking at your scorecard and and the colorfulness and or i look at you know a lot of the other scores that are on out there you've really more than once brought up the the distances and or the challenges of the course where do you put this course specifically and and what it presents where do you put this on your list in terms of challenge and fairness and all that stuff like where do you rate this course yeah i think um i was talking about this with a friend today who watched live and uh she was talking about how hole 17 for example it doesn't look as hard on camera as (laughs) everyone made it seem in, in Mm. play. And, uh, you know, I think that that just the elevation change is hard to, to show on camera, but that is the biggest challenge at the beast. Every single hole. I mean, uh, 
I can't think of a a whole nine maybe is the flattest hole out there. But even that one, you're slightly downhill and you can easily Mm -hmm. sail it past the basket. So, I mean, hardly any of the holes are flat. So every single hole you have to account for the angle your disc lands at when it hits the ground and your speed control when it hits the ground. So I think that, you know, the more veteran of a player that you see, the better they're going to be on courses with elevation change because everyone can learn how to throw an Anheuser, a Heiser, a roller, a sidearm, but learning how to control what angle your disc lands at and the speed is a lot more, uh, finite of a of a of a change here and there so that is something i mean that's just really cool to to know like the difference between an unlucky break and oh hey i shouldn't hit the hill at that angle um so and 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 to when those things happen to frame your mind in a sense of like taking it as a learning lesson and not just like, Oh man, I had another spit out. Oh man, I had a roll away and just really trying to learn from that because we are going to play that course again. We are going to play lots of holes like those with elevation changes. And uh, so for me, that course is, is very challenging. And um, unfortunately the, the videos don't do it as much justice as I wish it could, but that's just something that you'll have to see someday make a trip out there. Yeah. And you're exactly right on 17. It's easy to, and I have the little post-production I ever watched going into this week. I saw 17 really that hard. And then I was out there and I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it now. Like the shot that's required, the the potential for the roll away on both the drive and, or the, even the fly off on the, both the drive, the roll away on an approach, like throwing a correct approach at all, not coming up too short. Like you're right. You, you then see it and experience it. I think both 16 and 17 watching, uh, watching the players play it. It doesn't look neither shot looks as difficult as as it is until you watch the pros do it and i kind of have this feeling like if i'm watching everybody go out of bounds there's clearly something that we're not seeing whether you know and it's hard to make that translation it's hard to that approach on seven or on 16 watching the fpo just crush it i mean was that the was it the final round or this third round that i think all of you made it on the final uh, round was the final yeah. round they all made it on the island I don't, I bet you there's not another MPO group that did that. I'm sure. Yeah, it's that's just, the, you know, like to, to my, you know, like people send you messages all the time, fans and, mm-hmm. and just people that are watching and like, wow, great tournament, great win, great, we you know, however they want to phrase that, right? But it's mm-hmm. more rare to get that from your peers and, and your male counterparts in the mm-hmm. sport. So like going to the black party after my win and, and like, you know, all these MPO players coming up to me like, wow, you're shot on hole 16, like, and like specifically (laughs) picking one shot and just being Mm -hmm. like, you are insane. Like you just threw a fierce onto that green after she just pinned it. Like, what were you thinking? You're insane. Like, and so, uh, you know, in the best way. So it was just cool to like, to have been in a similar position as, other players and for them to know what it took to to make that shot but then also to do it to win a tournament and so that was cool because I felt those feelings and so to hear that kind of validated was and and 
like respected, I guess, was was really cool feelings for me. It sounds like we need a few more of those Paige Pierce uh, hole breakdowns that you used to do on your YouTube. <laughs> the, oh, yeah. The, it, uh, I, forget, you, I forget the name of the, the series that you had where you basically broke down an entire hole with another yeah. FPL player. Or like, yeah, find the line. or find, Yeah, something nice like line? that. Nice line. What is it? Nice line. Nice yes. line. Thank you. Um, now, with all that being said, would you disagree with the idea of a hole like 11, which, by the way, I, th- I think there's our, our trivia question that may- might be the only flat hole, even though it's got a ton of oh, yeah, OB, literally the only flat hole. So you're yeah. right, as I was trying to go through that, maybe two and 11. Um, would you be mad with, you know, and, and you look at all the, the stats, would you be mad if there was a T that was 30 feet? anywhere between 30 and 50 feet closer on a hole like 11 and I, and I'm very specific about 11 but would you be mad at that or would you would you like that change or not really I think that hole needs to change just in general um specifically okay. if we're talking about hole 11 at the beast um yeah. none of the men like that hole either um okay. it's just kind of like a poke and hope and the OB sure. right where you're trying to poke and hope through if you clip any branch, you drop into that pond unless you get a crazy <laughs> water skip. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so general opinion, that hole needs to go. Um, that hole in hole eight, I heard a lot of people saying it doesn't really match the rest of the course. Really? It um, doesn't. But I, but it- I like, honestly, I kind of like hole eight. I think there's, and again, it, a, a course that has a lot of different variety and eight, it's a simple hole. It makes I mean, it's just like a the putt. Which I like. Exactly. Yeah. It's a uphill it's an uphill putt up to that mound and it's just a little stable putter or mid range or whatever you want to use to you get know, up there. Funny but is I got it every day. I got it all four days. Fierce, I threw no passion. I threw my passion. passion. Yeah, I yeah. saw that. Um, now but try I and make that. me smart for a moment. Were you just trying to come in a tad short and then let it kind of skip up the hill? Um yeah, the putter's not quite getting there on that hyzer uphill angle mm-hmm. that I want to throw it on. Um, and when it lands, it's not getting the speed up. So I wanted to go a little bit faster. And um, yeah, it was, yeah, I'm just trying to kind of get that skip off the mulch a little bit up. And that the the flippiness of the disc allows it to get a little bit more glide easier. Yeah, I think having a hole like that, maybe after a bunch of long holes, is it's more of a mind game. You're used to throwing hard, throwing hard, throwing hard. Now suddenly you need to dial something back. It's it's a it's the pitcher change up rule, you know. Just you're throwing something at somebody that they're not used to playing. But mm-hmm. uh, I mean, if they replaced it, I don't think anyone would cry. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, I don't mind it. That's just it was whatever. better this um, year. It's it was better. Is that what you yeah, said? I moved the tee pad back in backwards about mm-hmm. sixty feet and like thirty feet to the left, so it was more of a hyzer angle and a little bit farther. Okay. Um, how about fifteen? That'll, that'll be the last one I ask you about. Then uh, what could is is that truly a par three or does par, I know par matters only so much, but yeah, fifteen. Um, I guess I guess you can drive it there. I mean, people can. It just it it just seems like it would just often not be done. But, yeah, yeah. Okay, think, never mind. Oh, 
never mind. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead and <laughs> go ahead and break down 15 for us. Um, well, I think the best line is like a lefty flex backhand or like a super strong righty sidearm that has the turnover. But uh, the best shot I personally saw in it was James Conrad's kind of like, you know, the shot he threw on 16 at Worlds on the island hole? Like the kind of flexy stalling putter. Yeah. Well, he threw it with a putter at worlds on 16, but he threw that same kind of looking shot, but with a driver on that one. And that was the closest that I'd seen anyone get. Um, But a lot of the men there don't like that hole. They said it's a little too close to the right side. They wanted the basket moved a Mm -hmm. little to the left. So they felt more enticed to go for it, but um, you know, I think it's a great hole because it's coming down the stretch and it makes you make a decision whether or not the basket should be moved a bit or not, or the par is wrong or right. Um, I like that it's a type of hole that makes you make a decision. And in that moment, I think Macbeth chose their own decision. You know, you just watch Eagle go out of bounds, lay it up, take that stroke and move on. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'm sure he's thinking about that in these days after the the event you know what how could i have obviously he wants his his drive on 17 to land in bounds but you know that's the easiest stroke i see to get back is just pitch to the bottom of the hill take your three and uh so yeah i think it's it's a good hole in that sense of making you make a decision but i think from all the feedback I heard, I think UC is really receptive and, and willing to change. So I'm sure that that will, that hole will be a little bit different next time we play it. Yeah. And I guess I was thinking more from an FPO perspective as to how many people are going after that green. And I just feel like. Hannah and Evelina. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and then I think, okay, is, and, and it didn't work out for either of them, um, you know, in a, in a majorly beneficial way. And, um, yeah, that, and that's, that's I, I love what you're saying about it makes you think about it. But for a lot of women, it's it, for almost all women, it's not even really a thought. It's not yeah, a choice. And it's, even if you stick that other side, it's pretty hard to get that too. So it's not really. Exactly. Because the putt's dangerous. Yeah. I mean, right. elevated basket towards, usually towards the OB. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I, okay. you know, I think it's it's uh it's too easy to three it, but I don't see anyone getting really that well. I'm sure there was people that did, but I don't see you getting worse than a bogey. Like you throw it OB, you get your mm-hmm. putt up there, but maybe if sure. you, you have trouble on the green and you two or three putt, you know that's a different story. But it should be a two shot hole, no matter if you go OB or not. So four rounds. Um, well, let's, let's back up even before the event too. President's Cup. Speak to that for a moment as to what that event has kind of become and, and meant for you uh, and being, you know, now one of the staples on that team. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. It's, it's fun to get together as a team because in disc golf, I mean, my, that's my favorite part of it. I don't care about Team USA Honestly, I don't care about Team Europe. It's just cool to gather a team of individuals together and fight for the same thing and have that camaraderie because that's something that we don't see in disc golf um, as a solo sport. So that's really cool. And being in the locker room and, you know, getting ready and having these speeches and like those are moments that you're not going to forget. So um, that's the best part of it for me personally. Um 
and it's just, you know, we don't have any other event like that. So is, is it the perfect warm up going into the European open or is there anything else you, you'd rather see or do? Um, I thought it was great, you know, going into, into Thursday, I felt like I had already had a comp competitive practice mm -hmm. round. Um, and I kind of knew what, you know, at least three of my competitors were kind of looking like on those holes and kind of what mm -hmm. their game plan was going to be. I kind of saw what my game plan should be. I actually, um, in the, as in the president's cup, it was pretty funny on hole 11. We played hole 11 at the president's cup and, mm -hmm. um, I had my Raptor out just going to like kind of pitch a chip hyzer to the yeah, middle, play, yeah. for, play for a three. Um, and Hannah was like, you don't like, you don't go for this. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, like I'm just going to go OB and shoot. And I went OB and the president's cup and she was like, <laughs> I went for it. And I'm like, yes, I should have, you know? And so she was like, you know, Hannah and I were matched up against each other. So she was like, Next round, match play, we both go for it, deal. And I was like, all right, let's go for it. <laughs> and so um, I I got inside the circle on that. I, I landed a shot safe and inside the circle. And, you know, it, it um, earlier in the match, uh, the stroke play, that Raptor shot hit the light post and stayed OB, and I ended up taking a <laughs> double bogey. So I was like, you know what, Hannah? I think you're right, you know? So if I go OB, at least I'm OB by the basket. So I ended up changing my game plan come tournament time, and I went for it all all four rounds. And uh, I got it the final round on a birdie, and then I had two easy three looks uh, or par looks. And um, so, yeah, it was cool to kind of, like, see what my competitors were doing, maybe change last-minute game change plan, um, and just kind of see how the course was playing, what scores were good on which holes and stuff like that. So yeah, I felt like it was, it's definitely the best uh, warm up that you could have the day before. You, you talk a lot when you're with her, obviously to Evelina. Well, you do talk a lot and we love it. Honestly, <laughs> I think on, you are, you're one of the, I think you're one of the smarter players to break down holes and such. I love listening to when you, you watch everything. It's, it's really interesting to even watch you, watch the other players. And then when you do post-production, you know what almost everyone's throwing, whether you ask them or not, you seem to kind of keep an eye on a lot of that stuff, which I, I think is phenomenal. Um, but that's not where I was going with the question. Um, Evelina, we've seen her play with you quite a bit now. Do you think she's better than you off the tee from tee to green? She always seems to be leading the, the divisions and you know what she does after that is one thing. Do you, what do you look at? What do you see from her? When you... Yeah, you know, I think that we as uh, outsiders create storylines mm -hmm. for each other. Um, and I think that that is completely untrue for this event. Like she only had one hole. I think I played with her three out of the four rounds. I, at least three out of the four rounds. Um, and I only saw her three putt one time the whole event. And it was just one missed putt and then she made the 30 foot comebacker. So I think that she has had moments where she's not putting good, but I think this weekend I putted worse actually. So um, I think this weekend I would say that I drove the disc better than her. Um, but which, which is funny. Cause I, I, maybe I broke up a little bit. Cause I asked you if you thought she was better than you 
off the tee from tee to green because her stats are always better than everybody else's when she plays. Like this weekend, according to Udis, she gained three strokes on you from tee to green. It, statistically, she was better than you off the tee. I don't know if I believe that. I think that I drove <laughs> this better than her this weekend. I think I putted a lot worse than her this weekend, but I drove the disc better. Um, remember, you disc is all all uh, mm-hmm. volunteer based. So um, <laughs> I know, and <laughs> those damn to, Finnish volunteers are and, are and, and, to, and to your point, no, it I says did. it says you gained eleven strokes on the field as opposed to her three on the green. So it statistically, it's different than. What your perception is is different than what the statistics say. It's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know, but I, I I hear that stat a lot, that she's a good thrower. And I obviously see it with my own eyes and I believe it. Um, as far as like stats goes, I mean, I don't know. You just got to look at the stats, I guess. But I felt personally, without looking at the stats, that I threw the disc better. Um, but yeah, absolutely. As Evelina, a good thrower. Yes, she is incredible. And um, like when the disc comes out of her hand, she she reminds me of Val, how much snap she has on the disc when when she's throwing a shot. And if you're not looking, you're like, whoa, what was that? You know, so it's really cool to see how much exertion she puts into the disc and like how much control she has of her drives. And something else that, you know, we're seeing out of her, for instance, is very much uh, forehand. uh, I don't want to say uh, comfortable. She's just comfortable with a forehand. She seems like it makes no difference. You could just flip a coin. She's like, yeah, cool. I'll throw a forehand here. Like she doesn't <laughs> yeah. even hesitate. Yeah. The difference I see in her, I mean, I mean a lot of FPO players now have incorporated a sidearm to their game. Um, but what I see that's different from her is um, whether she's throwing backhand or forehand, she commits to the shot a hundred percent. Like she's not taking any miles per hour off the disc. Like mm-hmm. she is not scared she is fully committed when she lets the disc go. And that's, I think, how she's finding a lot of success off the tee. Um, you know, you'll see, like, uh, example, Kona Panis. I think she has one of the best sidearms in the game. But you see her kind of back off a little bit. Like, she's not hitting mm-hmm. it as hard as she could. And I think that's, like, a little bit more fear-based than Evelina's sidearm. Um, so as uh, – in I mean, I spoke on it already after my, after my win, like she, Evelina is just so, so, so extremely confident in her skill set. So I think that's where you see that, um, that coming from is, is just how confident she is that she's going to make the shot happen. And if she doesn't, maybe she hits a tree and that's okay. She's still smiling. Well, yeah. Speaking of smiling, speaking of just overall with, within the FPO division, it's clearly more competitive than it's ever been. I, I'm I'm sure you can attest to that uh, as as you continue to get more and more challenged. But yet it still has this uh, seemingly um, harmonious kind of interaction. Like it, it seems like everyone enjoys each other's company, and of course, there's I, I'm sure a few nitpicky, uh, you know, little tiffs or or you know preferences maybe of competitors but it seems like everybody i mean a lot of people viewers will say it It looks like the women just get along and have a lot more fun out there is is there any truth to that um yeah i mean yeah i think generally speaking yeah i would say so i think you know like 
yeah, I don't know how to, how to talk on that too much. I mean, so in our president's cup, like pep talk thing, germ kind of mentioned like uh, about the pairings, like he wanted Ricky and Eagle to be on the first card and he wanted them both to be together, not only because of their skill set, but because they both have the same, uh, attitude on the course, just head mm. down, focusing forward on the shots mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. that that's intimidating and that that's, you know, kind of what they're known for. And that's just, that's how they find success. And, um, I don't think you see that as much in FPO. Um, I think it's more of like, Hey, we're, we're hanging out, we're, we're chatting and, Yes, we're focusing when the time comes. I think the best example of that type of mindset is Missy. Um, even though she's she's known as like a super happy, smiley person, like you're not going to catch her talking much during the round, not even to me. So she's, uh, I try, but she's like <laughs> walks away and she's like, you know, I'm th- she's already thinking about her shot, but as soon as her, she let her other shot go. So, and myself as well, there's times where that happens and I feel like I am playing better golf when that happens, but it's just like, you want to have good vibes. And I think that that helps each other as well. Um, or that just helps like push everyone to the, to the next level. And like your Johnny V you talked a minute ago about like how I'm watching everyone's shots and whatever. And like, I find myself when I, when I do see a good shot and I compliment it and I talk to that person about it, or I ask them what the disc was and Hey, cat merch, like whatever that peach one is, Oh, it's a Thunderbird. Throw that on every hole. Like that disc is, was made for you, you know? And you know, when I'm giving that to her and then she finds more confidence, she's playing better. And then it makes me play better. And it makes us get more more viewers because here we are birdie all four birding hole 14 and the men don't even do that. So I think it just helps the entire division when we are kind of, yes, we're competitors, but we're more friendly. And I, I kind of always equated it to just the, 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 the want for more FPO players there's always kind of been this, like, we need more women. We need more women. We need more women in the FPO. We need more women in the sport in general. And I think that maybe it's a culture we've built up in the FPO field of being more open and inviting. Because the MPO has never had to worry about that. The MPO, or men's in general, it's always competitive. From the time you're an, an amateur player up through the MPO field, you never have to worry about having other competitors. There's always someone there to battle you. That's not the same way with the women. You know, you we've seen plenty of events, at least in the past, locally. There might be one woman that shows up, and she can play whatever division she wants. So to be more inviting, it feels like that's maybe a culture that we have blossomed in our sport for women, to be more inviting on all levels of the game. And it maybe it just kind of filters up as you come up through the sport. I don't know. Yeah, I'd like, Paige, I'd, if you want more I, women to beat, they need you need to first get them there. And then, it's I mean that might not be true at all, but I'd like to think it is. Uh, um, f- just quickly on the President's Cup, fair to also say that you know it, it was it's a clear strategy that they wouldn't that Germ wouldn't necessarily put Ricky in in Paul's on Paul's card. Right. Is that a fair? Yeah, no, totally. He, I mean, a yeah. big portion of that was like the pairings of who they wanted to sure. be. Sure. And, uh, you know, James and Calvin get along well. They play 
similar golf. They're good friends. And, you know, so yeah, pairings were talked about big time. Is it difficult for you to pair up? I mean, you only have one other person to pair up with. I mean, you pair up with Kat and yet you compete with her every single weekend. Is it difficult to be on the same team and cheer for her when you're used to, when you're used to not cheering for her and kind of maybe being like, I'd love to get a stroke on her here. (laughs) Yeah, no, honestly, I thought it was really cool. You know, I, I remember that from, uh, I guess, yeah, 2019 president's cup. It was Kat and I as well. And, uh, I remember it, it, it's just, it's so cool because like, like you said, like a lot of the time, like, yeah, we'll talk on a backup or we'll, you know, talk about whatever escape rooms or whatever else, but (laughs) we're not really talking or like, maybe we'll talk about what new disc she's bagging or like, Hey, Mm -hmm. I haven't seen that one before. What's that? But that's really the extent of it. We're not really talking about game plan on a whole, Oh, you chose Heiser there. Why'd you do that? But in president's cup, like we're on the same team and with that, like what you said, it's like we compete against each other every single week for like a decade. So like nobody knows my bag better than Katrina or my my decision making or my mm-hmm. discs or anything like. And so it was really cool to be like, you know, hey, Kat, what do you think here? Like and to have her give me advice back and vice versa. So that was that was, uh, you know very unique and very cool. And I think you're one of the players, maybe you and Paul that take advice from other people more than I see on the, on the course, especially your caddies. I feel like even caddies, you don't know very much. You tend to have a good conversation with them. Talk with them. Maybe Brody's in that camp now too. Cause I see that guy talk to his caddy, like he's hosting a podcast, oh, but, <laughs> but, uh, but you you tend to have conversations with your caddy a lot. Did you do that with Cat? I mean, how much did that go back and forth on the President's Cup? Uh, yeah, there was a couple instances where, um, you know, sh- she's like asking me if she should lay up on 17. Evelina had her by, I think it was two, but Evelina still had a tricky approach left. Cat's like, should I try to throw this in? So, you know, um, yeah, we we talked quite a bit. Um and just like stability choices and layup zones and stuff like that. We, we definitely talk a bit, I think with caddies, it's, it's different. Um, some caddies, Alyssa, like when Alyssa has caddied for me, she calls herself a shelf that she's not going to talk, that she's just there to carry the bag and be the mm-hmm. physical support. Um, but, you know, and I've had caddies like that for sure. And it, it is a huge help, you know, not picking your bag on and off your bag, like forget carrying it for 18 holes. It's the putting it on, taking it off, putting it on, taking it off. That is so strenuous. So that is just a huge help just for starters. But if I feel like um, the caddy's like really attentive and they've been my caddy for four days now, like then they know what discs I've been between and why I chose this disc on day one and why I chose this disc on day two, what that wind was doing, you know, like, Oh, Hey, remember you left that one a little bit short. Maybe you want to club up. Like, so just the attentiveness, I think. And then also just like, obviously if, if it's someone that I respect their game, that goes a lot farther. Um, like I know if they make good decisions themselves, <laughs> um, you know, it's another, 
like check mark of why I would take your advice, I guess. Yeah, just thinking like Ricky's on your bag and he's just like, I run everything. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Go for it. He might not be the best. Also, also a good caddy isn't telling you like what I would do is this. Yeah, no, that's the dumbest comment ever. And I want them to know what they would do if, if they were not, not if I was, if I was throwing the shot, but what I would do if I was Paige Pierce, like, yes, I want them to know my game. So yes. let's let's flip this on its head. What kind of caddy are you? Because you caddied for Kevin Jones on third and fourth round, or just fourth yeah. round, third and fourth, third and fourth. That's what I thought. Uh, what type of caddy were you to Kevin? Did you guys? Was there a lot of talk? Did Kevin kind of just already have a game plan? And 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 why Kevin? Uh, Kevin's like one of my best friends in the world, and um, I know that. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you know it's it's different for everyone. You kind of have to like yes, there's things that you should definitely do as a caddy, but there's other things that are are player preference. So um, for me, like when I'm caddying, it's kind of just like keep your mouth shut unless they are talking to you about something like a di- like a disc choice or something like that. Like do not offer any advice on that. They will ask you mm-hmm. if they want to be asked or if they, if they want advice. And um, other than that, it's just kind of like reassuring. And uh, with Kev specifically, like he's the hype man, you know, you got to keep him hype and he's going to, he's going to get every birdie possible. So if, if he's feeling it, you know, keep him on that level. And if he's not feeling it, get him to that level. So, um, yeah, whether that's like singing a little song he likes or, or just, you know, he left himself short on one hole and I'm like, all right, time for a jump put Jones. And, you know, he goes from, he goes from not being excited about leaving himself short to being like, hell yeah, I'm about to make this jump putt right here. So (laughs) yeah. Uh, it's funny, even after the President's Cup, even after all of these friendships and, and we see all, you know, so many of the, of all of you kind of caravan, regardless of sponsors, regardless of all that and what plastic you're throwing, you guys get together, you're all good friends, but yet the internet, because it's the internet, you know, wanted, found, some people found it odd, like, oh, did you think it's weird that a, you know, a Discraft sponsored player is, is on a prodigy guy's bag? And it's like, no, like you just said, you're good friends. It's really really simple but uh, you know some people just have to think everything you know means something else um and and clearly it doesn't but uh it was the question the only question i have about it is just from a even remotely a fatigue factor of like it's not as physically demanding playing that course probably as it is a mental battle because there's so many challenges out there but none of that got in your way it seems like yeah, I mean, I averaged nine and a half miles a day while I was in Finland. So mm-hmm. um, on the days that I wasn't cutting too. So I was like, yeah, I would love to go watch Kev shred some golf. He told me it would help him out. And uh, yeah, so it was no problem. And like I said, a lot of it is just taking the bag on and off and mm-hmm. ripping a shot at 70 miles an hour every single hole. So like when you're not having to throw or take the bag on and off. It's, it's honestly not so bad. And it's kind of like a walk in the park. Yeah, you may have. Yeah, exactly. You may have sore muscles, but (laughs) sore heels. 
Well, uh, I, of course, Kevin, I'm sure appreciate it. Have you ever, and I, and this isn't even much of a sideways thought really, but because we were talking about you and Kat, have you ever looked at the stats on StatMando with you, with the two of you? You're one of the example stats, right? When you pull up yeah, the website because you guys are so legendary. Yeah. I actually have you ever, recently, like two weeks ago or something. Maybe. Okay. So it's, it, it shows in your favor, 114, 114 wins. To 72 times you've lost against her and five ties is what it shows you. Well, I, I thought it was interesting. All those ties. Oh, no, I beat her once at Jonesboro. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wild, but I think she's won the other four playoffs that yeah. we see each other. Okay. I, I saw a more interesting stat that isn't obviously shown on here uh, unless you can just go on this year and not overall because I think I saw that up until I think the third round, you guys had on events you guys have played together this year, you guys were each at like 4,300 and some, some odd strokes throughout the year between you and Kat up until like the identical stroke, count? identical stroke count up until I think the third round at European open wow. and in events, you guys like have, random stat. Like we play that's what these guys do. Different <laughs> it's like, I, I don't pay. No, these are, this is only in events you guys have shared and played together. Oh, okay. And yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's like, so overall in all the events that you you guys have shared together this year up until I think the third round at EO, the exact same amount of strokes as each other. Wow, so that's pretty crazy. Kinda, yeah. Yeah, it is. Isn't it? It's, it's, and these guys, I mean, that's their job is to pull up weird stats that mm-hmm. and they just feed them to our commentators and the commentators sound smart. And yeah, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it uh, helps as best us. As they sometimes can. it doesn't. Yeah. There's only so much help we can, we can get sometimes. Um, well, yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy to see that when you look at your overall careers, when you guys go head to head, one fourteen seventy two 72 and five, uh, in your favor, eighty-five. You have eighty-five wins to her fifty-one. You guys have fifty-three. You have fifty-three seconds to her fifty-one seconds. So almost the exact same times. And then uh, you have twenty third-place finishes to her twenty-nine. So yeah. Anyway, it's like you said. It's uh, people punching up numbers all to make things a little bit more spicy and interesting to to reference. That's pretty cool, though. It really is, yeah. Um, I had something else that I can't think of right now. So, I, I is there other things we need to cover that uh, that you want to talk about before we let you go? I mean, we don't want to keep you too much later. And um, yeah, is there anything else you want to talk about? Oh, I, that's what I thought of the documentary. What's going on with that? We have, I mean, just wait. I, I I'm going to set something else up. Oh, oh okay. Sorry. I heard a secret about the documentary which i'm guessing is a secret so i don't know if that's a smashbox exclusive that can be that's can be announced now or if that's still a secret what i heard about it from the man himself who's the man what do you know what's it willie 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 sent me a text oh nice well yes there is huge documentary news coming on thursday on my instagram Okay. But I mean, I want to. I want you guys to hear it from me first. But I guess you're still hearing it from me. Well, Should I tell? Well, I'll, I'll hear. Yeah. I'll hear it from Terry. Uh, everyone else will hear it from you it tonight. Just yeah, give us a hint. Okay. Yeah. Post it in the morning. Okay. All right. All right. Smashbox exclusive, ladies and gentlemen. Here it goes. Uh, documentary will be released on August 11th. August 11th. Yep. Uh, where? Um, Disc Golf Network. Okay. Awesome. For now. So it's going to a Disc Golf Network exclusive for now. Great. Uh, yeah, not exclusive, but yeah, more, more, info, um, but basically we, yeah, 
it's a little frustrating, but uh, the documentary has been done for like half a year, probably. Um, but we were waiting this whole time. Wilson is an incredible, incredible, incredible filmmaker, but he's not a, I guess, what is that called? Like a consultant or a consultant. Yeah. Like someone that's distributor. There it is. Distributor or consultant. So like we get the movie done and we're like high five and screaming hooray and all this stuff. And then we're like, wow, we got a long way to go just to like get this thing seen. And you know, long story short, but if we, if we could have just had it seen when it was done, you guys could have been watching this six months ago. Um, and we tried to avoid doing it on disc golf network because in my, the whole reason I wanted to make this documentary was so that the world can see disc golf, not the disc golf world. Like the people that are subscribed to disc golf network already know disc golf. They already love it. So that wasn't my intention, but now after talking to multiple consultants and distributors and all these things, um, we need to get the movie seen by people that are um, willing to pay for it. And so when you have a subscription on DGN, you're obviously paying for this service. And uh, since you have to pay for Netflix or pay for Amazon Prime or pay for Hulu or any of these platforms, they basically told us it doesn't matter if you have 50,000 or what was it? It doesn't matter if you have 50 million free views of the of this movie we would rather have 50,000 paid views mm. so um ne- like to gather all the analytics and um uh what's yeah analytics um mm-hmm. yeah. you we need people to pay to watch it otherwise netflix will not be interested whatsoever um hmm. so that's okay. But it's just like, I wish I could have gave it to you guys sooner. If, if we knew we had to put it on DGN, we could have done it. So, but anyway, it's August 11th is right around the corner. So it's okay. But just, you know, to all the people that supported and helped out with the, um, the funding and stuff, it's like, man, you guys have been asking for months and we could have gave it to you sooner. But anyway, it's right around the corner and it's, it's a great film. I just watched it again recently and I'm very happy with it. So I'm excited for the world to see it. And for all of you all that are on Disc Golf Network, and if you're not, sign up for Disc Golf Network. Please, please, please. Um, we got to get this thing on Netflix. It would be awesome. Um, so, Are they yeah. going to offer do – you, do you know if Disc Golf Network is going to offer a pay-per-view version of it? So if, it's, if there are some people – It will only some be people pay-per-view. That, yeah. It will, oh, it will only be – so it will not be – because there's there's Disc Golf Network where you can be a subscriber and watch it. Or you, they can offer pay-per-view, so it's going to be strictly pay-per-view. Is that what I'm hearing? Or if you're a Disc Golf Network subscriber, you get we to have watch it. We'll, meeting tomorrow, so okay, we'll figure is, that out. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll figure that out. Yeah. yeah. Stay tuned, people. Stay tuned. It'll all be cleared up, I'm well, sure. weekly updates yeah, until... We'll, <laughs> and then we'll bring you popcorn and everybody can watch it. Well, you it. guys are awesome. actually invited to the viewing party, which I'll send you details of. Okay. Hell yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, I got a message when I was in uh, when I was in Finland uh, from Wilson, and then I feel bad because we like we ch- we text back and forth one or two times, and then and then I fell off because I was doing a million things, and uh, yeah, it just was really exciting news, and I didn't honestly know to what extent any of it was public or not, and so I'm glad we could hear it directly from you because I didn't want to I didn't want to say anything to the rest of the world without talking to you. So, well, thank you, Terry. You're welcome. Sometimes You're welcome. my big mouth can actually be quiet, <laughs> believe it or not. I, I, I can I can keep secrets pretty well. Yeah. Uh, all right, Paige. It was awesome. Oh, I do have one little request. Okay. It's kind of a big one, but it's kind of a little one. If you could do me a favor, and when we're doing, uh, especially all of your champion interviews, if you could not get emotional, that'd be great, because that kind of makes things really tough for me, because I feel that, and I'm right there with you. And uh, I'm totally kidding, of course, but um, what's wrong with emotions, What's that? What's wrong with emotions? Uh, there's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with them. Uh, and His I'm, makeup runs. I, That's yeah, really exactly. the problem. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not worried about having emotions, and I have plenty of times um, with you guys. I just. I, I then I think the world knows. The world will accuse me of always rooting for you too hard, or something. I don't know, but. Uh, it was um it was it's awesome and i tell you at every event it's it's awesome to see the success and i know how hard you work and and all the things that you've gone through uh to arrive at the place where you have as you know the best disc golfer we've seen so it was it was awesome to be there for this one especially on foreign soil and um you you taking down another major like i said one of these days will count but i, I think i've been around for about 12 out of your 17 um and they've yeah terry you're the og fpo (laughs) uh supporter well uh, it's easy you've been around for it and it's been so awesome well it's uh it's easy to cheer on you and so many of the others and uh i it's it's just crazy where the division has come from and where it continues to go you know you guys fighting for more spots Getting more spots at events, you guys getting bigger paychecks, and getting more recognition. Terry, but did you did you notice on the first day of the European Open, um, you know the the stage with the big scoreboard? Uh, yep, yeah, you, it, you guys first? were not on there, and yeah. I'm like, damn, that better change. <laughs> yep, and guess who got that changed? Boop, boop. <laughs> I love it. I swear to God, I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, I was like, what? I don't love. Yeah, I was like, I don't like this message that they're sending by having the men's blank scoreboard up instead of having women with the women's scores on it. Totally. I got onto them day one. I was like, that better be changed tomorrow. And sometimes you got to you gotta do that. <laughs> got to put your foot down sometimes. That's awesome. Good. I am. I because I noticed it on days two, three and four. And I'm like, OK, that looks right. But I swear to God, I walked up 18. I'm like. No, that's that's a swing and a miss. I I, I, I swear I thought that, and so okay. I'm I'm glad that you you were the one that got that changed. Yeah, it was nice. good. It was good, and deservedly so. All right, Paige. Thank. I don't know. I don't know if you've got sponsors you want to again shout out or people or anything. Go for it. That was kind of going to be my my little thing. Oh, but I did have a big drop on my website um, on Friday, so we have some stuff left. I just got. Uh, fierces, but they're mini ones. 
Um, so for any kiddos or just like if you want to use it as a mini or if you just like playing catch with little mini discs, those are super fun. And then I just released some souls and fly die. Oh, wow. Wow, mm-hmm. guys. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, those shirts aren't new. Actually, oh, I, I just changed out of that shirt. Um, but yeah, I got some fly die soles and some uh, jawbreaker zones. I'm throwing both of those right now. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, check them out. Check them out. Job. Jawbreaker zone on hole one, oh, right? That's and what I, I saw. Got, um, if you, any of you that are watching are in Michigan, or if you know anybody that's going to be at Deglo, I have a limited release going on at this event, only 200 <laughs> passions, and they are only available at Deglo. So if you're going to be there, come see me on uh, Friday after my round at the Discraft booth. Or if you're not going to be there, call a friend that's going to be here and see if they can grab you one. Get there before Terry because you will buy them out. Mm, well, I bought yeah. them at. <laughs> yeah, I bought. I bought the limit back at uh, at the uh, uh, Champions. Champions Cup, and so hold on to three of them for old Terry Bear. I'll buy three more. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you guys for having me. I always like chatting always. with you guys about frisbees, and uh, I'll see you, Terry, this weekend. Yeah, you'll see me. I'm assuming you're in the press conference because you always are, and. Yep. Uh, I will then, that means I will see you on Thursday at the presser and we'll talk and I'll reword all these questions. No, we'll talk talk. and we'll have fun. Okay. All right. Thank you, Paige. Congrats. Thanks for joining us and uh, get some good rest. Okay. Bye-bye, Paige. See ya. All righty. Paige Pierce. 17-time major winner, Paige Pierce. She's, that's not too shabby. I believe she's tied with Paul at 17. I think that's the number. Sure. And Climo's at 19. Yeah. Which, which I, and again, and again, there, there's, you know, Doss had said it. it. It's not exactly a fair comparison because there were so many less majors for, correct. for, and, and, and an Elaine King and a Juliana Corver. Same thing. But yes, yeah, but regardless, you can only, you can only go, you can only break the records that are in front of you. That's right. That's right. You can't, you, you can't hold that against them. It's unfortunate that there weren't the number of, uh, players or events or whatnot, but 17 time major winner. H. Yeah. Pierce. What a amazing feat. It, uh, it, yeah, it is incredible. And I think Paul on the board had asked if I could name them all. I, I could not, I would have to do some serious math, but, uh, and think about it really hard, but yeah, uh, I think at one point we kind of loosely, I think maybe when I was talking to Wilson for the documentary is when I kind of reflected back, and was thinking about all of her major titles. And I, of course, I think I was there for every one of them, except for the couple that she's won overseas. The European ones. And um, those are the yes. only ones did that... Did she win Australia, or did that or Val win that? Uh, Val the Australian won Open that one. I thought so. I couldn't remember if Paige even went over for that. I feel like Val won that. I think she's got the didgeridoo, but that might not have been for first. But yeah. either way, yeah, the, the only ones I don't remember are the ones I weren't at, <laughs> um, which I think would be fair. So anyway. Um, Let's talk about MPO, Terry. I guess. I mean, we listen. They played two. They did play two, and, you know, they they deserve to be talked about a little bit. <laughs> I mean, we we already had the best. Now let's get the rest. Okay. Yes. Eagle McMahon takes home his second major. Only fifteen behind Paige Pierce now. <laughs> yes, he's, he's he's working on it. Uh, besting Paul McBeth by a single stroke. In case you didn't know, 
and then 17 ahead of Kevin Jones. <laughs> wow. Like they were in another tournament almost. Well, if you watched Paul on hole 18 in the final round, it did feel that way because he's Chandler uh, Kramer had the box and Eagle, I think, or no, Eagle had the box, went up and through. Chandler Kramer went, stepped up or was supposed to step up, but Paul just walked up right in front of him, not even realizing that other people were in this event because it, he was probably in such a a zone at that point that it only felt like him and Eagle. Like everyone else kind of vanished away. Yeah. Well, it, uh, figuratively and literally practically um, score wise, because nobody could keep up. Not a single soul. It was uh, what it what. What a feat between those two. An amazing showing. Ten, I think Paul was like 1072 rated average and lost. And Eagle was like 1074 or something. Just one single stroke. Any, yeah. Anywhere in the weekend. Think you and could find one? I think he can find at least a handful of them just on the final round. The one thing I noticed, and I mentioned to you right before the the broadcast started. I, re- I recall four different times where Eagle had the tee or was in front of Macbeth, probably had the tee and made a mistake. And I think only one of those four times Paul was able to take advantage of that mistake. Like where you you walk up to a hole and you think this is where I can get one back because Eagle hit a tree or Eagle went out of bounds to the right. I I'm sure there's more than that, but there's three distinct ones I re, I recall and I'm like, yeah, Paul just missed an opportunity there, and I'm sure you know Eagle could go back through his rounds and say, yeah. oh, I missed three or four strokes here, whatever. But I'm you know I'm talking specifically when the door was open a bit for Paul and he couldn't he couldn't take advantage of that for whatever reason, whether he was throwing, you know, he threw it too low on 15 or, you know, he threw, he threw his, uh, his, on, I think it was the third round. He threw his buzz and he flipped over into the bushes on that same hole. And just, there were, there were so many opportunities that, uh, that just slipped away from Paul to, to take this away from Eagle. Um, the thing was Eagle wasn't letting him, just yeah, I mean, a phenomenal performance, all backhand too, by the way. Yeah, I mean, and and at one point, you know, keeping in mind that Paul early on had a two-stroke lead mm-hmm. uh, between the two of them, and like you said, I mean, Paul had opportunities, Eagle had opportunities, they both did, and when it all, no surprise to a lot, when it all came down to it, it was in fact the last four holes that made you know essentially the major difference here. Um, and you always think, fair or not, you always think about, well, of course, the last ones are the holes that you think about the most simply because that's what closes out the event. But Those are also the four hardest holes on the course. Exactly. So, so. That's, that's different. If these were three easy holes in a fourth hole where and, and a hard hole where all three of them birdie or three of them birdied in, the, in a par, then those holes don't really, quote unquote, decide the, the event, even though they always do. Every hole decides an event, just what order we put them in. Mm. But these are the four hardest holes. These are the holes that where mistakes can be made. You know where Eagle goes out of bounds and has to rethrow on on uh, sixteen. Where Macbeth just you know ultimately throws it out of bounds on seventeen. He he, yeah. he you know and 
in the third round on 17. Eagle shanked it to the right and somehow made it through every tree and landed it dead center of the fairway. That could have easily been a two-stroke swing. And I don't want to say the Eagle was getting breaks because I watched Paul get some good breaks too. Those two were playing well and and getting the occasional break. It was nice. It didn't feel like somebody was luckier than another person in this event. It, no. It was two heavyweights battling it out stroke for stroke almost that entire round. And it was one of the more fun events to watch and broadcast. Uh, what wasn't fun was walking through all those damn people out there that were in my way. <laughs> uh, it was tough it, problems to have, I know, brother. And that's what I was going to say. It was such a funny experience of being like, at one time I got done with some one of the particular holes, and I remember just being like, Excuse me, excuse, like I couldn't get through the sea. I mean, you guys saw it probably from the drone shots, how many people were out there. And, and you, you know, you'd get to, because uh, normally I'm positioning myself two-thirds of the way or all the way at the green, two-thirds of the way down the hole or at the green, and you'd get there, and there'd be six, seven, eight people deep. And then <laughs> in English, I'm like, excuse me, excuse me. And, yeah, just kind of sifting through everybody. And then you know how many times I felt bad getting through everyone and they're all perfectly like right on the OB line, like just absolutely perfectly lined up. And I'd ask to get through them all. And then I'd be able to jump five feet in front of all that. And then I would get the most perfect view. And every time I'd, every time I'd look behind me and I wouldn't ever try to stand. I would, clearly I'd be blocking somebody. I'm not a small guy, but I would try my best to not intentionally block, you know, you a know, child, somebody, somebody who's been <laughs> sitting there in like a chair and they probably were positioned there for the last, you know, four hours waiting over all these groups. And hey, like, excuse me, sir, can you stand up? And then yeah, you plop yeah, down yeah. in his chair. I'm, just, I'm, like, I'm not okay, trying cool, to, thanks here. so believe it or not, I actually feel bad about uh, that, but it was so insane sifting through so many people to then. And there were a few times where it's like, ah, I don't necessarily need to be in the front of the line or in the fairway to see what's happening here. And just like everyone else, I stand in line and I'm just, I'm just kind of watching over a shoulder. It was, it was surreal. Uh, 5,500 people on that final round is the estimate. Yeah. Which is, which the, that's the only, the hard part. It's a public park. So there's yeah. no way to count heads. It's, it's really, it really is an estimate. Um, because you can come in from the park from basically anywhere. Yeah. And so there's no good way to actually, you know, I no. saw, I saw you see tagging people like with number one, number two, yeah, but I, I, I wish there was any form of an, uh, and even if, there, and it's a whole nother issue, but if there were even like three or four, like must access points where you could just only be doing it for counting perspective, like you know, th three or four semi-gated areas where it's like, hey, you have to go through here, like you said, just so we can like unofficially tag that you're that you're here or present. But anyway, yeah, fifty five hundred was the number that UC had published today. In fact, I think he had published a screenshot it somewhere, and I don't know where I put it, so I'm gonna see if I can find it quickly. He had made the post. Uh, here it is, I believe. There's like yeah, Wednesday for President's yeah. Cup. He had this is as he writes. Our daily attendant estimates. He said Wednesday for President's Cup, 2,000. First round, 2,000. Friday, second round, 2,500. Saturday, 3,500. Sunday, 5,500. He could be within seven people, and that could be dead accurate. He could be off by 1,700 1700. people. We don't know. I'm going to trust you know his 
his estimates uh, because I have no better, more obvious way to trust anything else. So, and he's been obviously running this event and part of this event for a decade now. So, it was. I haven't looked at one second of of, of live coverage, but I I was hearing when you know we were talking about going to the drone shot. And I am kind of excited to go look and see what it looked like from an overview perspective because I'm kind of short. So when I'd kind of stick my camera up to take a picture, you see like seven people. The hill, yeah, I see like seven <laughs> people behind me. But unless they were on a hill, it didn't do a lot of good. So that, very, very. Uh, that cool was one of the things that Mo had said and we all kind of agreed upon was on that final day, you can't take these drone shots enough. Not only were we getting them so you could see the number of people, you could see the layout of the holes as always, but. At one point, whenever we weren't live with it, they were taking photos from the drone for uh, uh, advertisement shots and things like oh, that. Sure. Like just, hey, look at disc golf, look at the people, this and that. It's, uh, I mean, it, it was phenomenal. Yeah. So um, with regard to that, that's that's what the estimates were. We had such a great, the gallery, no surprise, not only it was the largest for the MPOs on Sunday afternoon, but also the FPO gallery was one of the larger galleries I think we've ever seen at any event as well earlier in the day. And it was, it was really cool to see. So, uh, nice work. Um, so uh, I was just going to answer a quick question or two here that, uh, Phil Mills had asked and was that whole one catch cam TV in person, uh, catch cam. TV. How was it? How was it? Oh, it was really cool. And again, that was something that had nothing to do with our production. You you didn't have a feed to that, right? No, not at it all. Was... We we had, there were some talks originally that they were going to have some closed circuit cameras, and I believe that was the only one that ended up happening. Uh, and whether or not we could somehow integrate those into our system, um, and ultimately nothing ever came of it. Uh, either they weren't being pushed out to the internet. It was probably just local, and so we couldn't get access to that feed. But they were able to get access to our feed and watch it, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, it, it, I don't know if it was a GoPro mounted in a tree or, or a trail cam or what it was hooked up to or how it was uh, ultimately installed or even where it was. I never looked, honestly. It was definitely a little bit wider angle. So it could have been some kind of hardwired GoPro or something or whatever it was. It doesn't matter. It was, it was a really cool shot that all of the players relied on. And that was one of the unique features as a player would throw. They'd, they'd watch it. But then at some point they'd be they'd then realize like oh yeah I can watch it if it comes in on the on the uh, the big screen next to the T it was a really cool feature um, it was fun to watch the players react. turn and watch it yeah, <laughs> like, you're like, exactly. like they would throw it and then just turn to watch where it landed and yeah uh, but my favorite <laughs> uh, my, my, so Kevin Jones takes third Nicolas Antila takes fourth Chandler Kramer. The new rock star uh, takes fifth. But my favorite shots of the entire weekend mm-hmm. were by, uh, I believe it is, I'm looking it up here. Uh, is he, oh, he must, not, he must not made the cut <laughs> on round three. Uh, I think it's, is it Elias Grippler? Yeah, Elias Grippler. Oh. Have you seen those videos, Terry? I, I <laughs> did make a... Uh, uh, I did see those on he, the internet. He had two of the most iconic shots of the European Open on hole one, catching the left side of the triple mando, bouncing off and hitting the car. Yep. You hear like, thump. And then on another hole, him trying to throw it very hard and almost decapitating spectators. 
just having some grip issues with the last name Grippler. It, it the jokes only write themselves. Yeah. So the I I think those were the those <laughs> those are the two shots I'm going to remember the most here uh, out, out of this weekend for Elias. Mm. Uh, and it, he, yeah, he's out of Sweden. Yeah. Yes, he is out of Sweden. <laughs> so and, and he did not make the cut, but ultimately uh, made a name for himself. Well, that might have kept some people safer. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> like uh, we're gonna need you. We, we've got five thousand people today. Sorry, Elias. <laughs> yes, because you, your odds. You are of hitting n- someone just, <laughs> just went up just by like two hundred percent. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it is what it is. Um, <clears throat> but. Uh, what, what, uh, overall, great event, phenomenal. Um, just the play was great. The course seemed to be in great condition. Uh, a, a little bit of weather that they had to deal with, you know, some some rain off and on. Uh, some of the hardest rain that I heard the cameraman ever had to deal with. Yeah, for they about were huge uh, drops for about like Heavy. an hour or, or forty five minutes or something. Just the cameramen were soaked. And at one point, I heard uh, I think Sam had said like. That is the heaviest rain I've ever shot in my entire life. Yeah, it was definitely during the FPO round number three. Mm-hmm. And specifically, we were on holes seven and eight. And I very distinctly recall just how hard that rain was coming down. And it wasn't painful, but it was, it just felt like they're the biggest raindrops ever. So they felt that much heavier and harder as they were hitting you. Uh, thankfully, it let up and, you know, it was hit or miss throughout the day then. But, uh, when it was all said and done, the fact that we had three out of four rounds that were rainless was insane. And and I know it was talked about, but they actually had heat warnings in Finland because the temperatures were like eighty two to eighty five to eighty seven. <laughs> it seems and so. they had like... they had legitimate heat advisory warnings uh, for the people of Finland. During those days, because they are not used to it being that warm. And yeah, I mean, of course, it was like a warm, hot day here that we'd experience in most of the U.S. during this this month. But for them, certainly not what they were expecting. And it was I mean, it was hot and it was a little bit uh, stifling on the first couple of days. So, um, yeah, as Hannah Macbeth had told me just before I went to the event, she said, pack like you're going to Oregon like it could be rainy and cold and wet all four days just plan on that and to the to the point where i even invested in a brand new raincoat you did did you get to use it i did very much so on that third good. round good for you the other three rounds not so much so at least i guess i'll take that as a win but i mean then you can just return it after only one <laughs> that's, use that's a good call <laughs> pull the old college move like just yeah. buy it and return it man so um but the weather the weather was very cooperative uh, throughout which was pretty cool so um other other news that i think we kind of i was do i talk about the nico thing or do you want to talk about something else um well i was just gonna say chandler kramer clearly another big storyline of the weekend and if you watch the pcs sula open you really got a taste of uh and and your first probably real sight of chandler there Mm -hmm. he's been at other pro tour events he's cashed at other events so on and so forth but seeing him back to back weeks talk about having your greatest week ever like you're you're you have coverage from, from wednesday to the next sunday yeah you have coverage of you at pcs sula because you've done well you didn't totally fall apart you know he didn't play his greatest golf whatever but then a week later or a few days later in another foreign country to you you then play and finish fifth at a major a feat 
99 point blank amount of people will never capture in their life. And this guy who's been playing two years comes out mm-hmm. and does it. Yeah, we'll try to get him on the podcast at some point in the next, hopefully maybe in the next couple of weeks. I know it's it's relatively busy. Uh, we've got a lot of winners coming up. But if not, he's definitely one of those characters that I could see getting in um, in the off season to chat with in general. And as one of the, I mean, for your, your and my age, one of the best tour series stamps. Oh, I haven't even seen that. His name's Chandler Kramer, Terry. Um, can you can you take a wild guess as to what the stamp looks like? CK thirty four at AOL dot com. <laughs> no, that's Chuck Kennedy. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, it's a- I I don't think I've seen it, but then again, uh, it's it's a fair statement that I am not up on every single tour players. No, uh, no, but with a name like Chandler Crane. Yeah, I can imagine it has a very Calvin Klein look to it. No, complete opposite. Oh. It has a very Friends and Seinfeld uh, look to okay, it. Yeah, there you go. That you also makes perfect sense. Chandler from Friends, Kramer from Seinfeld. He's got the yes. two names. Okay. Um, and there were a lot of people that weren't sure if this was his actual tour stamp disc. Like, it looks like a fake for some people. Like, mm. they would never do that. But ultimately, this is his disc. It was sold out thankfully for him and i believe they just got it back in stock so if you want to get a copy of the chandler kramer disc by yeah, all means there you go go out and do it get yourself a warbird yep um he, this is not a paid advertisement not at all not by, at all but by our friends at lone star disc but if lone star you want to give me a tour series disc i'm like listening. a terry miller one or a tour, chandler kramer one Both. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about yeah, it yeah we'll, we'll we'll get it so so uh yeah just uh i mean I think he won 35 we, on our airport ride together. He he was telling me uh, he was unsure if he'd have to pay taxes, a certain amount of taxes because of whatever the rules are in Finland, blah, blah, blah. But I think he said he yeah. won $3,500. Oh, uh, is it listed on there? Uh, it doesn't have payouts. It doesn't have payout on here yet. The, Why not? It's, weird. It's, but the anyway. event is not complete. Once it completes, they'll usually put the payout. Sometimes they do beforehand, but not it, always. It should be complete. Anyway, uh I believe he said he won $3,500 there and the previous weekend, $1,500. So winning five grand overseas. Almost pays for your trip. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. So nice work by Chandler Kramer. And clearly we're going to be hearing more about him. I, I grabbed mean, you him. Don't, you can't just jump onto the scene, have that kind of success without having some he's, form of longevity that goes along with it. He's clearly on the way up. He's one of those players where it feels like his rating is behind his talent still because he's yeah. been moving so quickly up up the rank, much like Brody was for a while. Um, because he's only rated a thousand and seventeen, but he's been playing like ten forty golf. Um, let's see here, ten forty one, ten seventy one, ten thirty four, and then he dropped off at the last round with a ten twelve. He had a rough uh, final round, but ultimately, you know, averaging what ten thirty some, ten forty ish golf, you can't complain about that so i think that we'll see much more of him i did grab him for my fantasy team mm, so i was go. i you know keep it up chandler i got you starting at d glow so please mm. uh please play well there uh let's quickly and we don't need to harp on it too much uh let's quickly talk about nico the world has seen the footage that happened in the third round of the european open of nico getting called on a time violation and for a quick a little bit of quick backstory um i believe they were all told the entire group was told before the round and then on hole seven nico and chandler were both warned for excessive time chandler 
we just got finished talking about. Um, apparently, quote unquote, cleaned up his routine, got it under the 30 seconds. But my understanding is after hearing some things that Nico continued to take longer than the allotted time for a few more holes mm. and upwards of a minute or 45 seconds a few times. And then finally on hole 18, he had taken over a minute and the official comes up, shows him the cell phone, the timer he had on him. And at that point we all saw the video Nico kind of got into his face and was, was yelling aggressive. Aggre- aggressive is a word to put. Yeah. He was yelling. And then there was obviously Nico following him around and staring and, you know, intimidation, things of that nature. Uh, the tournament disqualified Nico. And that's kind of where it stands at this point. There has been nothing. There has been a statement from the PDGA more or less saying that this is going to be moved to the disciplinary committee. Well, it'll get forwarded on as all DQs. As I think, all are. disqualifications are. Yeah. Not, not, I, not I, that this one's any more or less it's no egregious different. or special or different than any other disqualification. If you got disqualified from a tournament for tomorrow for literally any reason, you would then also it That's would the get forwarded on to the standard operating procedure. Yeah. So just to make that very clear. Nico has come out to, first of all, apologize, which was, I think, very sincere. Mm-hmm. Um. And he made another post saying he's going to be taking a break from touring while he, um, while he goes and uh, apparently seeks help mm-hmm. of some sort. So for now, that's where we stand. I, I don't believe there is much else to the story that's public that can be made public or that isn't already public. Yeah, the only thing I would tack on to that, sure. Um, which first of all, I don't think a lot of people knew or realized. For starters, that there was another... Well, a lot of people didn't realize there was a warning earlier in the round. Correct. Just to throw that out there. A lot of people had no idea. They thought well, and the, somehow this was the first situation, no, and it was not. No, the the official had said something, but it was a little bit... I don't say broken English. It was just... it was He's uh, he's from the Czech Republic, I believe, so it might have been a little difficult to understand what he had said to Nico. But clearly, as we said on hole seven, there were multiple warnings handed out. Not just to Nico, but to Chandler as well. Yeah. Um so, yeah, so for starters, that was that was one of the big, I think, clarifications that was definitely worth making is that it was uh, it followed a warning. It had it was in addition to a warning that was issued earlier. And then also the fact that Chandler had been issued a warning also, I think, is very much not nearly as public as I wish that it was just for the to kind of reaffirm the idea that Mate who Mateo. is the PDGA tour uh, director of Europe? Is that uh, he's something like that? He has a, a, a high. He's uh, not profile. just a volunteer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he is a high-profiled uh, European PDGA representative. He, if I don't want to get too worked up, so don't let me. That- this was not a witch hunt. This was not a singling out of any one or two people. This was simply applying the rules. Does every single person that speed get pulled over and get ticketed? No. You speed enough times and you speed enough times you raise your chances and the likelihood of getting pulled over and or getting a ticket. Mm-hmm. Do other people speed? Yes. Does everybody get pulled over and get a ticket? No. Did it did did Nico this time 
go over? Yes. Do other MPO and FPA, FPO players go over the time limit? Absolutely. I've got lots of examples that are recorded. They're breaking the rules just as much. I, I'm in agreement with all of that. But if you think Matei or anyone woke up that morning is like, by golly, at the most inopportune or opportune time, depending how dumb you want to make your statement, I'm gonna I'm gonna find him on 18, and I'm gonna make sure that I'm issuing him a stroke on 18 of round three. You you're just stupid. There are, there have been. I was so good with the way most of this was going because it felt like a genuine consensus that he he was over the line, which he admitted he was that Nico did. But then to finally now more and more people filtering on and trying to make up every excuse that not even Nico's making, just shut up. Like, I, I'm I, sorry. There's I, the, it, I saw a little bit of it early on, people like coming to his defense, which that's fine. Uh, I, I, everyone has their right for their perspective. but uh, And I have seen a little bit more of it lately. Uh, I don't just, think there's a lot of it, but it's out there. They think, but there's so many people that think this was a a targeted, specific winch, witch hunt on Nico, and it and it just wasn't. And yes, there were other officials covering other holes. Was every hole covered with an official? Of course, there wasn't. That that's not remotely practical or practical at this point is every rule violation guess what i saw somebody on the lead card foot fault and step on their disc at one point when they shouldn't have it didn't get called like i'm not implying or suggesting that everything's perfect however as i said there is an element here of, of rolling the dice and 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 increasing your probabilities if you break <laughs> any given rule enough times eventually Somebody's going to take note of it. And and in all fairness, I think the last time we had Nico on the show, I think his statement was when I asked him about <laughs> breaking the that he knows he's breaking the 32nd rule. Get on the lead he card said, and call get me, bro. Get on the lead card or get on my card. Get good. Get on my <laughs> card and call me on it. That's what I want all you keyboard warriors to do. Well, Matei's far from a keyboard warrior and has no ill will or intentions toward Nico, but he did exactly as Nico asked him to do. Well, he wasn't actually on the card, but he was following well, the card. Well, he was following the card. <laughs> he was that's following my the point. card. And he called so, him on it. So quit it, with somebody. I, I it, read somebody. They should have told him after the round. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Learn the rules. Like, there's just so many dumb things that i eventually read that i didn't I, think i was going to i, I can know you mute your microphone now <laughs> I, I, no i muted it you're, you're down i told you said not to let you go too long so your so microphone anyway, is muted that's what i will say though okay microphones unmuted. i appreciate the hell out of nico and what he said i do feel like he was sincere i do too i feel like he was very genuine in how he said it and with all of that being said we all know Actions speak louder than words. So it, when he comes back and and hopefully stays within thirty seconds, that's one start. And then secondly, ha, doesn't ever you know come with that sort of aggression toward really anyone, not toward a spotter, not towards a tournament official, not towards a fellow competitor. Those actions, not towards a cameraman. You know, I say media. When all of those are in line and he continues to to not display those types of um, uh, behaviors, I'm good with it. He made a mistake. I I think 
lots of people, myself included, can completely forgive him for it, and you can move on. I've got no problem with that. I, like I said, I feel like his his apology was legitimate and sincere, and all we can do is wait and see now. He has to back up his apology with with his behaviors. Let's speculate. Do you think that he will get some sort of suspension from the PDGA? I speaking as none other than just myself, Terry Miller. I believe there will be some form of suspension. That's okay. the, and that's nothing more than pure speculation. I've talked to exactly zero PDGA representatives about it, and quite frankly, I don't want to because I don't want to have any uh, any more and knowledge of it. We, I think he will. Yeah. With we don't even situation. know if the PDGA has even truly the, the the disciplinary committee has even talked about it yet. Um, oh, I, I yeah, yeah, that I don't even know. Yeah, either, we don't we don't course. know any of that. Um, I I would it, it could be it could be a probation. It, well, let's put it this way. In my in my guess, and you served on the committee. I never have. I did the disciplinary committee. I'm guessing it will be a minimum of a probation of some sorts, whether that's three, six, or twelve months. That would be the bare minimum. And then I would just, I'm just guessing there will be some form of suspension. Now, whether that's six months, three, six, or 12 months, I don't know what the variations are. I don't know what are the criteria for any of that. This is just me purely spectating, uh, speculating if, as a guy who's never been suspended. And it, it's been a, close to a decade since I've been on the disciplinary committee. Um, so I, I, I don't know what it entails now most of the people that i were on with probably aren't on it even anymore themselves so i don't know what the uh set standards are i see someone on the board say what personally what i think i would like to see is maybe how is it like is the wrong word but what, what i think is a maybe fair would be something like a six month suspension and then probation for the next year but assuming he can prove that he has gone to some sort of uh therapist, counseling, anger management, whatever you want, whatever you want to do. I believe that's something similar to what they did for Bradley Williams back in the day. So just basing it off of that, I think that this would kind of run maybe parallel to that. Um, But I I don't know. If this is truly maybe his first time in front of the disciplinary committee, which very well could be, Mm -hmm. um, maybe he just gets probation right away. And then also something like that. We're going to find out. it, It might, you know, it might be weeks or months before the disciplinary committee can get together and, you know, decide and look at history and they've got standards and all that other stuff. So when it happens, you know, you'll hear it here. So for now, we will just leave the story as it is and wish nothing but the best of luck to Nico in, in everything that he hopefully seeks help for himself. Yeah. Let's he's yeah. Um, yeah, all, all we can do is wait and see. And like you said, uh, you know, some people are comparing it or saying not to compare it or whatever uh, with Bradley uh, Williams and and some, uh, we'll say, aggressive or type behavior from a few years ago. I, I don't necessarily, that's not even, it's funny enough that that's not even really my baseline, as you're saying. Um, I just think from a generic perspective, you know, somebody had also mentioned like a 14-day suspension. I don't think those even really exist no, in, in disc golf. I don't believe so. Um, and I'm not, I guess, I don't know if that they would just make one up. I would doubt they would just uh, implement one that's never existed no, before. They've got I different, feel like th- like, different classes of yeah. uh, 
uh, like A, B, C, and D of uh, tiers, so severity, to speak, severity and, and things like that. And each one, I think, comes with general recommendations uh, and whatnot. So we'll, if, if you're interested, uh, reach out to the PDGA on how the disciplinary committee works or look it up on PDGA.com. It might be out there somewhere. Um, yeah, and, and I... The one thing I would disagree with that I've seen a lot of as well is I don't think personally that this is a a scenario of, well, it's been happening for so long, therefore we now are going to make a bigger example out of this. I don't feel like, I don't know if retroactive is quite the word I'm looking for, I I don't feel it's in that sense. No, this is uh, this, this was is an unique. incident that happened that was just cut and dry. It he happened to already be known for it, but it was cut and dry in this scenario in this weekend by someone who never really even sees him hardly in person, and it was just cut and dry and an easy See, decision for him to make this call. It, this isn't, but this like, is oh, this has been building up for six months. But this really has nothing to do with the call. That, that's true. It's, like, like the th- call, was, and I think that's a great distinction to the, make the, for a the, lot of people. The, I agree. The time violation w- was earned. It was seen. Everybody knows it. Like, the, yeah, but other people take too much time. None of that matters, though. It was everything. It was the minute he was called on it. Everything after that is is the reason why we're talking about this. If he took Very that time so. violation with, it, it was just like even if he just got grumbly about it, like okay, dude, whatever. And moved on, correct. Even if he jawed, yeah, none of this conversation. Even if would he kind of maybe like said a word or two or jawed at him, none of this would be happening. It was the aggressiveness at which he he had done it in the face, whatever, following him around the fairway, all that stuff. That is what got him to this position, not the time violation. The time violation was just <laughs> the spark, you know that 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 set off this uh, dynamite. <laughs> I guess yeah. I would call it. So from a to to maybe put a bow on this then the the remaining question is what was the conversation like within the within the control room oh, minding yeah. that there's four or six or 10 different people involved so, from cameramen to you to our producer I mean there's there's a number of people involved and so what was the conversation like as it um came to light So behind the scenes we were on, or that group was on the 18th green mm-hmm. putting. And one of the cameramen over comms basically just said, Hey, there was a call. Uh, there was a penalty or a, a penalty, I think, or a disciplinary call against Nico after his approach. That's all we heard, which is, which is very pertinent and legitimate information. And so our, you know, th- they tap out or something. I tell Gary, the replay officer, I said, Hey Gary, um, and I don't even know if Mo caught the cameraman talking. There's a lot of voices going on. And I said, hey, Gary, can you kind of go back and look at that? And so Gary goes and looks at the putt, and he's like, no, there's nothing here. I was like, no, 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 his approach. Go back further. Go back further. And so we're playing it. We're, we're not playing it. We're doing what we, you know, what we can. And suddenly Gary over replay says, yeah, there's, there's something here. Uh, something definitely doesn't look right. And I don't believe Gary actually, he might have watched some of the video, but he didn't listen to any of it. Because it's very difficult. Gary's also cutting replays for other cam, other cards and whatnot. And so Mo and I, and just mostly Mo, it's, it kind of comes down to Mo's decision. But I, I would say I was just like, yeah, let's play it. Whatever it is. I mean, clearly, if he's taking a penalty stroke for it, we should show it. 
not it's, per, it's pertinent. It was pertinent. It's very pertinent. It was pertinent the, at that information. So we played it. We we actually showed it to the uh the commentators first. We quickly played it in replay. So mm-hmm. in previous they could see it. we're like, hey, something here happened. And we only showed like the first like 15, 10, 10 seconds of it or something. And then we played it. And honestly, that was the first time I heard it was live on the air. That was the first time I think any of us in the control room heard it. And so we didn't really, I think, truly grasp the severity, we'll say, of the situation watching it in preview because we didn't know exactly what was going on. Um, And I can only kind of keep one eye kind of on it. I just saw Nico following the official around. I didn't know what it was about, mm-hmm. you know, they, the, or if the official was talking back to him or what was going on, what the scenario was, because without hearing it, you're only getting one perspective. So when we played it live, that was the first time we saw it. And honestly, we thought after we played it, we're like, should we have played that? Is that appropriate to show, you know, because we we didn't really focus on Nico at all during the round. His 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 play didn't truly qualify it. We showed a couple of his shots, of course, whenever somebody has a good shot. But we were there because Chandler Kramer was having a great round. And we happened to catch this. And I think going back and looking back at it, I think it was the right decision to show it. Um, we have a different culture in disc golf than other sports because you'll see uh, baseball players and coaches get right up in the umpire's face, you know, screaming at them, kicking dirt on the <laughs> on the home plate, whatnot. In tennis, you see tennis players argue with referees about in and out calls. Hockey players they show fights flat out. Yeah. They'll show fights, which is again we have a different culture in yeah. disc golf. It's it's a different sport. It's a different <laughs> culture. But again, our job is to tell the story of the event. And like it or not, maybe because of us, this became a story. Because had we not showed it, all that would have happened is Nico would have been disqualified. Yeah, but, and then and then you know what the complaint is? Well, where is it? Wasn't there a camera on that what, card? Why, why weren't people? Why, why is the DGN why don't trying I get to hide to it? it? That's, well, yeah, what are you trying to hide? Why are you censoring us? Yeah, this why? is America. Well, we're not playing in America, <laughs> but there's Americans there. Freedom of speech, man. I can say and do whatever the f I want. The funny thing is, we we were you can't win. <laughs> I think we just finished the round, and over our comms. Someone from the PDGA jumped on our headset and it was like, hey, um, do you guys have footage of this Nico thing? And I, and I just said, yeah, check the internet, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Jokingly, because the PDGA didn't even realize, or the PDGA on site didn't realize that it was part of the broadcast when they jumped on the comms to ask us about footage from the camera. Because they, again, you can use footage to make these type of calls for disciplinary actions, not the one minute or the 30 seconds, but for that. So on site, they had no clue. I think they went and reviewed the camera footage after the fact. There was some stuff up at Tournament Central that nobody really knows unless you were there happened. There was no cameras involved in that. So it was uh, it, it was interesting from our perspective because after the fact, there is still a, a question about, is that something we should be showing or not? I, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer. If it's Nico... Should the person be doing it? No, clearly not. But if if it wasn't Nico, if it was someone on the fifth card that we happened to get footage of, uh, 
I'm going to say pick a Swede, some really nice guy. If Grippler got in someone's face <laughs> and and was, you know, uh, upset at them, and he's not part of our story at all, if he's on the fifth card, do, is that something we show? Or do we only show it because it's Nico? I don't know. I, ca- I can't separate myself from that because Nico was on the th- on the fourth card, I think, at the time. Third. 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 Fourth. Yeah, it was third. I think it was fourth, actually. Oh, it might have been, yeah. I think it was fourth card. I, you know, and... and Nico would have been on the chase card. Yeah. He was shooting well. He would have been on the chase card. So, um, and then the next day, obviously you, the PDGA, you talked to Jeff Jaqua live and we kind of discussed it real quickly on the broadcast. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, 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 it's so hard for me to separate in the moment, seeing it, it being Nico versus anybody else at the time, whether or not, we played it because it's Nico. If it's not Nico, if anybody else, yeah, I, I can't I put myself in that position. And I, I would just, I would think if any player did that and then uh, had the reaction they did and then ultimately got disqualified, uh, the fact that there was the quote unquote video evidence that showed exactly how and what went down, I think is, is that much more appropriate because uh, let's say you have the nicest guy in the world. Mm-hmm who got disqualified, who had done the literally the exact same reaction, but is known as the nicest guy in the world. The next thing you know, every such a witch hunt on that person. They're the nicest person in the world. There's no way they did that. I don't believe that. Like you just have mm-hmm. so many other than people second guessing how it went down. And the one thing that I also posted earlier today is that the, the interaction between these two gentlemen at that time didn't end on the fairway at that spot on the fairway of 18 and no, there's, there's somebody just asked if there was, you know, other footage that will be seen. There is more footage that will likely never be seen. I a, happen to know from the back end that it exists and that there was, but my real point was there was still more interaction and it's safe to assure you that it was very one-sided that interaction that unfolded. Well, at hole 18 after everyone put it out, Nico then again went and and kind of started to walk towards the official and it appeared to me that the cat that Nico's caddy stepped in between them and more or less, I don't know if calmed the situation down, but politely moved Nico along. Like that's what, that's what I saw. And that was, that was after they put out. I don't know if anything happened even after that, because I haven't seen that. And I don't know if, I don't think there is camera footage after that because our cameraman then turns around and becomes a different cameraman. He either goes and does interviews or anything like that. But even after everything was put out, I saw a little bit more from Nico um, and I, and I never, I haven't listened to that footage that it was all just visual. I saw the official, the caddy and Nico almost like a sandwich. And at that point, then Nico was ushered away by his caddy. Great caddy, by the way, <laughs> that's the kind yeah, of caddy I want. <laughs> I'm trying to think of who was on his bag. If, I don't know if it's someone I knew or not. I know but, either way, but still, so there so, was, yeah. So just the fact that if some people thought, Oh, that incident wasn't so bad, that wasn't even all of it is, I mm-hmm. guess maybe the point. So. And then apparently Nico was not cooperative with the investigation at first. Um, when asked about it, which obviously led to the immediate disqualification. That is ultimately, I believe, when he refused to cooperate, they just said, at that point, you're just like, you're done. Cool. That's why you were disqualified. So, 
I mean, if if he wanted to, I believe he is eligible to still play the Deeglo. I don't think he will, but I think he's eligible yeah, because I mean, until no, if no official suspension or uh, otherwise has been noted, yep. then yeah, he's absolutely uh, welcome to yeah, play. And so. I would assume he'll be there. Well, I would have assumed that until he made until a post earlier today, taking a break. saying that he was going to take a break. So uh, I, I will close it by again saying I have no problem with all of us moving on, and and if you choose to forgive him or not, that's on that's on you. I would absolutely love to believe his apology is in the most sincerest of forms. And I hope, in fact, everything that he said within there just uh, turns out to be the reality and fact. That That's all that I can say about it. I mean, I'm, I'm good with that. It just is going to always come down to your actions speak louder than words. And if, and if he holds true to what he said within his apology and his other statements about, uh, you know, having everything under control... Then, then you you hit the reset button and you move on. You and welcome I, him you, back. You have a nice clean slate and you move on to the next day. I'm good with that. I'll take that all day long. That's all I think we can ask of each other as humans is uh, to get that reset. Is if 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 that's what you're looking for, is to uh, acknowledge and grow and improve, and then you come back and you prove that with your actions. That's all you can ask for, and I I certainly hope that of him. So, all right. Let's move on. Let's quickly talk about the Warwick Disc Golf Championships over in Warwick, New York. Uh, this is an A tier. This is I'm 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 specifically talking about this because this is Mo's favorite course, favorite event. <laughs> and he was that's all he every time anyone mentioned the European Open, all Mo said was, "Yep, this is the second most important event of the week of the weekend. The most important is Warwick." Um, ultimately, uh, Harry Chase. Wins this one, shooting 27 under over Scott Conway, Kyle Moriarty, and Steve Brinster. So congratulations to Harry and MPO. In open women, uh, Margaret Sassaman takes this one down over G. Ann Pian? Pian? Not sure. Not sure what that one is. So congratulations. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to see if there were... Well, you do that. I'll also make a quick plug. Of course, just three days remain to get your votes in for the PDGA. I voted. You vote. Go vote. I'm going to get political, hardcore for a moment. I I think this qualifies as political, but not political. Here, here, and this is, and maybe this has been done, and this is, I feel like, a sincere and very genuine and legitimate question. And I'm sure I could have Googled it. So that makes it maybe a little bit stupid. What what should or would be considered a successful voter turnout for maybe an organization of our size and type? I don't know if that's Googleable, so to speak, but I would be happy. I think with thirty percent, because I think it's which is a very arbitrary number or not? Um, well, <laughs> it is arbitrary, but well, it's you know it's more than before. But it's more than before. It's okay. an it's an increase an increase in improvement than the twenty to twenty. Four percent, I think we've seen in the past. Oh God, no! Like uh, eleven or twelve percent, and then it's maybe gotten up to twenty-four. I, I, I thought maybe. It, I thought we were at like close uh, to twenty be, last but, time. Yeah, it's but, been as low as like but, eleven and twelve percent. If, if we could get to twenty-five to thirty percent, somewhere in there, I think that would be successful um, movement. Okay, I, I would love to see us at seventy percent. Here, I don't think I don't know. Here's if that's... maybe a little bit more of the core of my my overall questioning, mm-hmm. which is at what point. How many people can we, should we all but, I hate to say eliminate, but, and I hate to say disregard, that's not the word I'm looking for. I think of, I 
three ballots arrived at my house virtually through email. Me, my 13-year-old daughter, and my 11-year-old daughter. Of course, I'd love to inform them and keep them as educated as possible and up to speed. However, they're 11 and 13. They very seldomly play. And as much as they, I feel like, are somewhat up on, on some, at least, political issues overall... Uh, and main agenda items, I still don't expect them to have a a a voice. I don't expect them to have much of a voice on these matters. They literally will probably not even play a sanctioned event this year. They may not even play an unsanctioned event. So my point is, think about the hundreds or shall we say thousands sure. of juniors. It's probably I don't want to say you just one you to two one to two percent of our of our PDGA. Yeah, that's why we need a PDGA rep. Or uh, maybe these are some great numbers for our our membership manager that I should have asked a few days ago, but I thought of the question today. But just think about it. So there's a few thousand juniors that might be under the age of, pick an age, 12, 13, 14, that quite frankly don't even want to read the ballots or care. And you'd like to say, well, maybe their parent would educate them. I'm in that boat. My kids still don't care. This is my life. And let's, let's be honest. Those kids would vote anyway. The parents probably skewed out. Like so, if, if you if you walked up and said, "Who's on the board?" Phil Mills. Uh, you know, Phil is a pretty good guy, and he says this, this, and this. And the kids would probably be like, "Okay, I'll vote for Phil." Like you, I just don't think that the kids have the correct. They're going to vote what their parents tell them to vote. Prob- probably, probably, which could be good, bad, or indifferent. Right. So, so you have those kids. You have a few Eagle members, and th- those are probably in the dozens, but. Um, I, I guess I was trying to like find that little Venn diagram of of eligible voters, which is every current PDGA member, but then also the voters that um are up to speed and or care, and then I think of current PDGA members that. Well, I guess those are the people that don't care. Yeah, like there's just so many that either aren't up to speed or don't care, or or the, like. There's also members. You you bought your you bought your one year old a membership just for the sake of that's the year they were born or they were born mm-hmm. this year. They now have a membership and a vote. And I'm not suggesting that these people shouldn't be given them. I'm just thinking they're hardly part of the legitimate voter pool. Sure. If the, and legit's not the right word, but you know what I mean. I, like expected voter pool. Yeah. No, that's. I mean, I got three ballots. Guess what? I'm you know my two daughters' ballots will probably be exactly what I think. Right, wrong, or indifferent. Is that voter fraud? Am I admitting to something? Am I going to go to jail right away? Anyway. I don't know this man. <laughs> PDGA, so, <laughs> I did not ever. <laughs> um, so that's, that's I guess. I'd, and maybe some of you guys have some really interesting um, insight or thoughts about this. I don't know from, a, from, you know, I'll say a general political discussion as to, like, what a good number is and then how many we should just really not even expect as part of a voter turnout um you know the the significant other that had to get the membership because they're going to be the assistant td at a tournament or they're just becoming an official and maybe otherwise don't even care i mean those are and there's no way to be like hey do you care or not should we send you a ballot or not because you're sending them to everyone but that that was part of my point clearly i guess you're never getting to 100 percent voting the question is is 
if we got to 50, would that be like a massive win? Yeah. And would that be legendary? Or should we expect to someday get to 72%? I don't know. Well, Phil says the in 2021, it was 20.3. That was what we hit. 20.3, which is where I saw, thought I saw 20%. So again, I'd be happy with 25. I'd be happy with anything over 20. Because I think right now we're at, would I last at 16 or 17%? So, yeah, so, and we have a few days left. So let's try to get it to 25 people. Get out and vote. Check your email. You'll probably get a reminder email if you didn't. just sent another one like in the last day or two. And so, that's why I wanted to say it again. Yeah. yeah uh, we're seeing 6,716 junior aged members in 2021. And we have over 100,000 active PDGA members now. That's right. So about 6% are probably juniors. And I'm not saying juniors shouldn't be voting or don't, you know, I'm not they suggesting. Just, they're just uh, unlikely voters. Yeah. They're unlikely voters. You know. But, all right, we're going to talk about the clash at the canyons real quick. Gannon Bird takes this one down, shooting 25 under par over Dan Schlitter and Chase Van Berkleo. Uh Fourth place was Ian Burchett, Eli Swenson, and Chris Clemens. So congratulations. Uh, Kayla Visca takes eighth in this one. This is Clash at the Canyons in Lockport, Illinois. Moving down to FPO women, uh, Hannah Wynn, I believe is that is that Hannah Wynn is how you pronounce her name, um, which is funny because that's not usually how the name Wynn is pronounced yep. and that I've seen in the past. Um, second place, Juliana Corver and Sarah Gilpin. Fourth place, Ellen Wid to the boom, and tied for fifth, Casey Glade and Holly Finley. So congratulations to our Clash of the Canyons. And the only other event that I want to talk about is the Brent Hambrick Memorial, which is the, an A-tier over in Ohio. Tournament director won Christy Moore. I don't know if she's on the board or not, but congratulations, Christy. Um, winning this one, Nate Hecker. So Nate, a thousand. Nate Hecker. What the Nate Hecker? Um, Trent Nickel. Nichols from our uh, DGN crew was especially stoked about that as he's he a is friend uh, of his. a friend of his. And, and Nate's only that, a thousand and eight rated. Yeah. He beat out the superstar, Isaac Robinson, who's a thousand and thirty one. Corey Ellis, ten twenty nine. Uh, fourth place, Tyler Horn. Fifth place, Andrew Presnell. Sixth place, Joel Freeman. Seventh place, Bradley Williams. Uh, eighth place, uh, Tony Rice, and ninth place, Scott Stokely. I mean, you're talking about almost all those other guys are on tour regularly. So mm-hmm. the fact that Nate Hecker wins in a playoff over Isaac, what a, what a great story. Congratulations to Nate. Um, and open women, Holland Hanley takes this one down handedly. handedly. Holland handedly. <laughs> Holland handedly. I was trying to work through it. I was going to get there. You'll get there. Um, I was going to come, I was trying to come up with something more clever than that because yeah. I thought that was like just mediocre, but okay, I'll give it to you, Tara. Uh, 15 strokes over Ashley Bauman uh, and third place, Michelle Frazier. Fourth place, Hannah Manis and Christine Jennings. Congratulations. And Tim Quartz with the inside scoop. We Our Smashies uh, budget sent him all the way there, just down the road. And Tim Quartz <laughs> tells us that Nate Hacker won in a playoff parked hole one to one foot away. That's, that's the inside scoop you're only getting here. It is. <laughs> Through Tim. <laughs> yes. So, Tim, we do appreciate uh, the inside scoop there. Thank you so much. Uh, real quick, um, Hall of Famer, legendary woman and human, 
Mom Wallace celebrating a birthday today, so I Happy wanted to get the birthday, shout out Ma in Wallace. There to Ma Wallace, um, a very crucial, instrumental part of all of our uh, Midwest our Gulf, Midwest and United States women, specifically her, and uh, along with uh, Old Man Wallace, who has passed away, but uh, Eagle members, Hall of Famers, just all around uh, incredible humans, but Mom Wallace celebrating a birthday today, so happy birthday to Mom Wallace. That's all I got, Tear. Okay. I had something else clever, and of course it slipped my mind now, but... We can save it for the after show. Maybe you'll remember. Eh, maybe not. The other highlight... My clever runs thin. ...of the broadcast this weekend, uh, and and he he owns up to it, was one uh, Brian Earhart on hole 16, talking about Eagle and his spike onto the island, more Mm -hmm. or less saying... Literally, as Eagle's throwing it, saying, well, it's not like he's going to tombstone this. Five seconds later, <laughs> tombstone. tombstoned right into Slicing the green. it right in. You know, half deep in the thing. It was, I don't know if you could have picked a more uh, like, humorous, yeah, unfortunate obvious. timing. Oh, yeah. like Because nothing else had tombstoned in that island all weekend. Sure. That we had seen, at least. Um, and other ones were bouncing and rolling and Eagle had the one that rolled and hit the hay bales the, uh, round before, but just the way Brian was like, yeah, yeah, Nate, it's not like he's going to tombstone this and then whoop, right in there. A lot of people got a kick out of it, including myself. A lot of people in the control room chuckled at, uh, Brian and he, he saw it on, I think Reddit, um, and, and got a, uh, got a good laugh out of it. Uh, sometimes these players, they, they fool you. Other big news. Kind of in just social whoops social media community, Reddit got rid of their spoiler rules, which okay. they are the biggest disc golf community we have. Okay, two hundred thousand people are part of that group. So a, a a major change like that, I think, says something about live disc golf in that that while it's still not the overwhelming majority of people who watch that it is now taking um, front and center stage in the social media perspective. And there was a lot of fight back, but I think the moderators were, were just kind of sick of having to moderate events. Mm. And they took cues from other sports and just said, okay, we're done with this. There's n- it used to be no spoilers in titles up to 24 hours mm. after the event. After 24 hours, fair game. Because that's all post-production has been released and all this. So I get it. You live by the standards that your community sets. Mm -hmm. I I totally with them. But they have now gone and changed it and basically said, we're not going to implement spoiler rules anymore. If you want to spoil it, you are welcome to. You can still use the spoiler tags that hide the the, the stuff, but we're not basically going to monitor or moderate it anymore. So best of luck. And and there was a good portion of people on there. And I say good portion. They're obviously a vocal minority that said, cool, we're out of here then. And that's fine. Like if that's how you want to, if you want to consume post production, and that's how cool. you, <laughs> you're on social media during live sports. I, that's, maybe this isn't the place for you in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And so that's kind of how. Yeah. So I think that is kind of a big shift in the online community when that's your biggest community, and we're starting to see a change in that perspective. So. Yeah, I. Yeah, I, I definitely do consider that a, a significant policy change. And I I just generically would revert to the overall arching 
overarching concept of like if you're on any any social media anywhere and you don't want to know the revo- the results of the largest sporting event in your uh, hobby or your your passion or your career or whatever you whatever however disc golf is is relative to you then I think you're just asking for trouble no matter where you go on any social media platform. And if, and if you think mm-hmm. the, the world's going to wait for you, I, I think that's just a tall task. So um, I get it. Like you said, uh, if there's a community that's, that wants to still uphold the no spoilers concept, then I think that's great. But to, to expect uh, everyone to do that, I think is a little bit um, crazy. All right, well, we're going to uh, close things out for the regular show for now. It looks like a lot of you guys getting fired up on some uh, other thoughts, questions, and concerns out there. So we'll try and uh, touch on those as uh, as we come back for the after show. And if you're not familiar with the after show, I'll quickly tell you. It's where we continue to have conversations that may or may not be disc golf related. They're also a great opportunity for us to interact with you directly as we read things off our various chat boards. So if you've got a topic or another issue of conversation, again, disc golf related or otherwise, uh, you're welcome to put it in there and hopefully we can discuss it and go from there. Sometimes it gets off the rails. It does. Sometimes Sometimes it's still a hundred percent disc golf, but sometimes it's not. And also maybe the best part of the year after show, we give stuff away. Free stuff. Patreon.com I mean, slash Smashbox TV. Who doesn't love free stuff? Unless, unless the penalty is free. Okay. We're going to call it. Johnny V, myself, got to thank Paige Pierce. You're now three-time European Open champion, 17-time major winner, five of those being world championships. Uh, also, yet again, congrats to Eagle McMahon, who's now a two-time major winner, both coming uh, on European soil. So how come that guy can't win in the U S that, I mean, these are basically illegitimate majors now. If, if you yeah, can't win I mean, in the did U.S. you see that he didn't even throw a forehand. It doesn't count <laughs> that and other stupid threads you've seen all coming up in Next. the after show. We'll see you. This has been Smashbox TV's podcast 413. We're signing off, but stick around cause we'll still be here. We'll see you in the after show when you step inside the Smashbox. 